Hey, welcome to this episode of the Meg, John and Justin podcast. Um, this is a panel discussion um, which we did with our friend Girl on the Net, from um, which we which took place at Eroticon, which is a weekend of learning, socialising, and fun for sex bloggers, erotica writers, and erotic creatives. Um, so we were doing a panel on how to give responsible sex advice because a lot of the people there um, have people asking them questions. So um, we had a mix of questions from uh, Girl on the Net, but also from the audience, which are read out by Girl on the Net. Um, there is a little bit where my battery runs out on the um, on my microphone, uh, so a bit of what MJ saying at one point gets cut off, but uh, so that's what that weird bit sounds like. Hope you enjoy it, and you'll hear from us again soon. Bye. It's the Meg John and Justin podcast. Yay! Hello. Um, I won't, I'm going to keep my intro uh, very short and sweet and I'm going to let Meg, John and Justin do all of the plugs for all of their incredible work. But um, I just wanted to say, so the idea for this panel actually came like a while ago. Lots of bloggers, I was having a conversation with some bloggers about sex advice and the fact that lots of people ask them for sex advice. And um, so I consulted with the two people who have taught me more about sex than anybody else I know. They're both incredible and um, you should check out all of their work because they're great. Uh, so I'm going to introduce you and hand over to John and Justin. Yeah, hey, thanks for having us. Uh, it's really great to be here. We've both done a Roscon separately, but never together. That's we? right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, we are Meg, John and Justin. This is Meg, John. I am Justin. Um, and... Um, so this is our website, megjohnandjustin.com, where you can see all of our blogs and um, podcasts that we do. Uh, the last one we did, Feeling Better About Our Bodies, is like three and a half hours long or something, so yeah. you're welcome. <laughs> uh, the, and this is where you can buy our stuff, so our book, Enjoy Sex, How, When and If You Want To which is apparently very difficult for people to buy. We didn't, really think that thing, we didn't really think that through, did we? No, it's really hard to go up in a bookstore and say, can I have Enjoy Sex, please? Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't go over very well. Get it on your Kindle, that's yeah. what I say. Yeah. Um, so that's our book, Enjoy Sex, How Well and If You Want To, Seven ninety nine, or sometimes very random sales. I think it's like seven forty one on Amazon at the moment. <laughs> it's three pounds something. I think it's like right? we're on, there's a seven percent discount on Amazon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also our zines. So our download and print your own, or just look at your phone zines. Make your own relationship user guide. Make your own sex manual. And understanding ourselves through erotic fantasies, which is probably pretty relevant to. What's the workshop I did things. here last year? Oh, for real? Yeah. Any, right. Was anyone yeah, yeah, yeah. in that workshop last year? So it, was a re- it was amazing. You inspired me so much. So yeah, that's right. Great. We were on a deadline to make that zine for, for that it, thing, right? Weren't we? Yeah, that's why we did it. So yeah. yeah. So that's our stuff. So how should we? How are we going to start the? So this? I was going to kick off by asking one or two questions, sort of broadly, about sex advice, and then hopefully throw it open to people in the room to ask uh, other questions about giving sex advice, or if you have any frequently asked questions from readers or things that you particularly like to um, to hear the panel's take on, that would be great. So first things first, I'm going to ask you a um, very broad question. What do you think are the main things that we should keep in mind when readers, when readers contact us with questions and we want to give them mm-hmm. information, what are the kind of core things we should remember? I think like a lot of... Um, it, the, the thing is, I think a lot of people who give sex advice kind of be- base it on sex advice they've read 
um, before and a lot of it tends to be really terrible uh, one of our main themes is how terrible sex advice is and you know so I think it's for me the main answer would be like think beyond what you generally see as the answer because that's mm. probably terrible and also like it feels like people who give sex advice often feel like they just have to come up with this set, like an actual set answer, mm. whereas actually what we're mostly doing is unpacking the question and talking about the diversity of different ways that somebody might address that particular issue because it isn't a one-size-fits-all. So that would definitely be my... Yeah, I think the answer is like good sex advice is like good sex education. You have to make it about them yeah. rather than about you. And um, so many of our least favourite sex advice columnists always find a way to make it about them. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> but I guess that there is Back like... Back in the um, 70s when I was young. <laughs> not naming any names. We're not naming any names. Um, speak to us after. We'll tell you all the names. Um, but, um, yeah, so it's about making it about them and kind of making it person-centred. So looking... So often I think what we do is to look for some of the clues to the answer in the question already. And it's like the act of writing it down is already been uh, a useful exercise for that person to do right mm. and so kind of picking out some of the things that we think might work for them I guess there's going to be um, we'll talk a bit more about this but um, the if a reader is writing to you a sex blogger for your advice there might be a kind of an implicit what would you do in this situation mm-hmm. because if they're seeing you as an individual that they admire and respect and they kind of seem to enjoy your life choices um, then uh, they might find it very useful to kind of to have that I guess right yeah so we'll kind of explore that I guess a bit more Mm. yeah I was gonna actually just gonna ask is there something in the very fact because I often find that when people email me I feel like they want a very specific answer and Mm. that's why they're asking yeah it's that Mm -hmm. I'm asking a sex blogger because I want the answer to be yes, go and do this sex or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, do you think in terms of, because um, obviously we've got people who cover everything from sort of toy reviewing to non-fiction sex stories and erotica, um, do you think that, uh, how do you, what do you think the interplay is between erotica and sex advice and, you know, should we be sort of mixing the two together as it were? Yes, well I'm really excited by this question at the moment because after attending last year and talking about the, the some work I'd already done writing erotic fiction and then mashing out with memoir and self-help I've now written an erotic novel, which I just finished last week. Um, so I'm like super thinking about like how much do we bring erotic writing, whether that's real writing about our own lives or whether it's fiction, into sex, into sex advice, and how much do we do bring sex advice into erotica? So like I've been massively thinking about consent in this novel and like how to you know, especially like right now with Me Too and everything, how to write about themes of consent and non-consent, and um, how to make the sex in it consensual and hot, and make the consent hot. So in a sense I want that the fiction to be a form of sex advice but also um, when we were writing Enjoy Sex how when and if you want to available now um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, we, we were like you know to what extent is it cool to make it sexy because you don't want to write about sex in a really non sexy way because that's kind of the whole point and we were really trying to say like only do it if you if you're hot kind of thing so how do we how do we weave in kind of a sense of how it how it can be sexy and hot and we did that with these multiple experiences so we kind of had these fictionalized just little quotes about why some like we had a list of things reasons people enjoyed fucking or something didn't we and things yeah like that. i mean yeah. they weren't all about um enjoyment or they're about different kinds of enjoyment or different kinds of pleasure and different yeah. certainly different kinds of sex but whenever we got stuck 
uh, with something. You know, we were sitting, we sat in a cafe and wrote everything together. And whenever we got stuck with a topic, we would go, okay, well, what would a multiple experience look like here? And so being able to write like six or eight, it was an even number, six or eight um, <laughs> different kind of multiple experiences really helps us to articulate quite difficult things. And sometimes mm-hmm. a little story or a little paragraph like, can do that mm-hmm. and if you have more than one of those then it gives multiple you know lots of different kinds it gives a flavor of what's out there yeah i think sometimes it's difficult to write about sex in the way we do i suppose because we are talking about difficult concepts sometimes i think sometimes throwing a, a, an example can be useful it's something i certainly find super difficult when i write for young people mm-hmm. is it's really hard to be able to do that uh, you know, when mm-hmm. I can, it's, it can be good to do. But um, it's kind of it makes it easier for us actually writing for an adult audience, being able to um, talk about fucking, for example, if yeah. we want to, or not fucking, or doing lots of things that you know. Because yeah, it's sort of a weird edge, isn't it? It's like mm-hmm. I, when I was writing about the wheel of consent for my own blog recently, and I wanted to write these little vignettes to show people how you might. This is uh, Betty Martin's idea, the wheel of consent. It's mm-hmm. really interesting, and I wanted to show like what these different exercises might be like with a little sexy moment you know to kind of exemplify it and then you're like well yeah at the moment I am educating the audience and I'm also trying to turn them on a bit or you know it is a horny kind of passage so I think thinking about those edges and like you say with an adult audience we we can play with that a little bit more um certainly it's much more difficult with young adult audience yeah yeah Mm. fantastic thank you very much and I'm gonna throw it open to the audience I have a couple more questions but I'm gonna let you have a go first Okay, so what do you think are the most enduring and harmful myths that people buy into about sex and what can we do about them? Uh, well, where do we where start? Do we so start? <laughs> I think it's the idea that sex is just about um, learning a bunch of techniques that we then do to another person. Um, certainly there, there might be an element of that in, in particular kinds of sex, but when people approach sex as, uh, when people approach that as their starting point, um, I think that's where um, that's one of the enduring myths that we re- have tried to challenge in our book because everybody's body is different and everybody's body is different every single time as well, which is what can make sex exciting mm-hmm. um, or um, you know it can be. Um, so, uh, but when we're kind of just thinking that we have this kind of um, like a toolbox of things that we can open and go, well, this I'll try this on this person, like working another person like a machine. You know, it turns them into a machine, turns them into an object and not uh, the uh, sexy human in front of you. So yeah. I think that's one. And connected to that is the sort of sexual script, and it's something I've been writing a lot about. Um, so I've just got a book out called The Psychology of Sex and a new series called The Psychology of Everything. And, like, yeah, you were, like, really my first, first and best reader, mate. Yeah, um, and uh, and yeah, like it was. I was delving into the history of this, you know, sexual script that we have of like foreplay, penis and vagina sex, orgasm, and you know, just how that was constructed and and how omnipresent it is. It's like even if you, I'm sure, like pretty much everyone in this room is trying to unpack that and come up with all like different ways of having sex, but it can still have such a gravitational pull of like proper sex and like be really hard to actually let go of that. And and uh, do you have any strategies to cope with the emotional labour of giving advice? and how do you make people aware of what that emotional labour is? 
I mean, I think that we have embedded self-care throughout our work together big time. Um, and that is because, you know, that's one of the main messages of our work is that it's self-care is vital around sex and relationships. So it felt like it'd be really hypocritical of us not to do it. So I think when we get to give, together to work on the podcast and previously the book, there's, we always start with just like debriefing about what's going on in our lives. We make that time to just be really caring about it. And we try and also notice in, like often we'll throw out a few topics that we might do and we'll be really honest about actually this one's a bit live for me at the moment like let's let's wait till another week or so there's a there's a balance point isn't there because sometimes yeah. it can be quite good to go to the stuff that's fairly live but not so live that it's actually going to be even more emotional labor for us to kind of delve in but of course all of that is kind of in a way more emotional labor in the sense we're having put even more time into it in order to do it in a self-caring mm. way i mean i guess we're both professionals so we both are very practiced at having to do that right I yeah mean, you know um I've been uh, an advice giver in various different forms for nearly 20 years. So it's mm -hmm. like um, you do, first of all, you need supervision and you need colleagues. So when I get difficult things, then, you know, I, I talk to MJ uh, or Petra um, mm. or Sarah, um, you know, people, basically anyone who will listen to me. <laughs> um, but it is, but yeah. we do like, I'm, I do draw a line, you know, I, um, I have hobbies. Uh, I don't um, spend all of my time thinking about sex and relationships. I treat it like a job. And I think that's kind of part of, that's certainly one of my strategies is that to, sounds a bit callous, but I have to like care enough to give the person a really great quest, a really great answer. But once I've given them what I think is a good answer, I forget about them. And that sounds kind of callous, but it's like, it's kind of what you have to do, I think. I think as well, the, the, the other part of the question about being valued for it is a really difficult one. I mean, at the moment, I'm employed in a different job, so I kind of get paid for that. And in a way, this is part of that work because it's public engagement work and I'm paid as an academic who does public engagement. But as that kind of goes and this becomes maybe my main employment and a form of self-employment, then it yeah, definitely becomes difficult to, you know, get to think through how are you going to make money from this and be valued kind of financially for the both the, the, the actual labour, or what do you call the other kind of labour? The, the labour labour and the emotional labour. Yeah. yeah. Certainly the things yeah. that are, the majority of my income are labour labour yeah. um, and not the emotional labour. Mm. And some of the hardest things that I've written at Bish have been, um, Bish is my young person's website. So some also of the hard, excellent. Thank you. Uh, some of the things that I've written, um, some of my most favourite things I've written or the things that I've gone into the most are questions where I've uh, answers for young people have written in and it's like oh they don't get read nearly as much as the mm -hmm. you know my other things that I've written so it's like it's like how do we all value that kind of stuff as well I think is a another question yeah but there's other kinds of valuing as well i mean i get an awful lot from social media like it makes such a difference that people kind of retweet my stuff or tell mm. me that they've really engaged with it and that's just gold you know that feels like an incredibly valuing thing so i think you you know you really come to appreciate like the you know 20 30 50 people who like really kind of engage with your work i don't yeah. know if you find that as well but yeah, yeah definitely like that feels like a huge kind of valuing yeah is that just to kind of because I, I think it's really interesting and just to kind of dig in a little bit more because I often, um, I, I see other bloggers talking about it and I talk about it sometimes as well on my blog mm -hmm. where essentially being very open about the fact that, do you know what, if you come to us with a lot of questions, this is knackering and yeah. you know, etc. Mm -hmm. Is that something you would ever 
addressed directly when you're talking to someone. And mm -hmm. I'm going to be way more specific in my examples because yeah, I feel yeah. like I'm being too diplomatic. Mm -hmm. uh, people, a lot of bloggers I'm sure in this room get the same thing where people send you an email and go, right, tell me how to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this, blah, 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 tell me how to do this. Um, and it's someone who's got a genuine problem and you want to help them, but the very act of doing it feels really demanding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that a thing you would address in your response or how would you go about addressing that if, if you would? I feel like we frame it now as well that people write into us and may, it may or may not get answered and we actually kind of store up the questions we get. So sometimes we answer like three in a program or something. So I think we don't feel obligated to do an immediate response is one thing. And also for me, it's also like finding a way that w that's mutual. So like recently somebody wrote and asked me, would, would I write on my blog? No, they asked me if I'd write to their partner whose birthday was coming up and tell them all about how to write because they wanted to be a writer. And like, I was like, okay, well, no, I can't, I can't just send you an email like that. But what I could do would do a blog post about writing because I've been meaning to do one for a while anyway and kind of dedicate it to that person. And that was like a way to make it more of a win-win. So maybe, you know, thinking about whether you can do that with the questions that come in so that, you know, A, you're not offering this immediate, hugely emotional labour response and B, you're making them work for you in some way. I mean, it's also, it's, it's consent and boundaries, right? So we've got to model it. Yeah. You know, we've got to model the advice that we want to give. So I don't answer all questions. Um, mm. And... Um, <clears throat> And um, I don't think that that's, I don't think we've ever said we will answer all questions. I think mm. we've, we've very explicitly said on our Ask Us a Question page, you can ask us a question, we can't promise to answer all of them, also keep it short, mm -hmm. don't make it too detailed, <laughs> yeah. because there's, there's little value for us, in, uh, for us in answering somebody's question which is extraordinarily detailed, because we want it to be useful for everybody. And it's also kind of like, what's the purpose of a question? Mm -hmm. So it's like you know, on you know on Twitter when pe when a thing happened the other day didn't it about somebody who's um, there was a, a thing that went a bit viral from the Guardian and the question was my oh, the, girlfriend the masturbates after yeah. sex or something what yeah. should I do and people shared that people were sharing sorry I've gone off on a tangent people were sharing the question <laughs> yeah. but without really paying attention to the answer which I didn't bother to read because reasons. But yeah, so it's like people in our business, and Petra was saying some great stuff about this the other day at Crystal Sexology. Yeah, Petra yeah. Boynton, who is amazing, uh, was that, you know, the history of it is kind of like people are kind of have this kind of voyeuristic interest in the questions, and then that gives them permission to read the answers. But it's like we've also got to make that useful yeah. for everybody as well. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I'm going to open up to more questions. Uh, so what things, what things should people avoid when they're giving advice to readers? I think um, for me a big one would be uh, with sex advice is individualising it. So again, all the sex advice we tend to read uh, sees it as like, you're the person with a problem, it's your individual problem and here's some top techniques how to fix it. And I think one of our big messages is that most of the problems that people have around sex are due to wider society, they're due to crappy cultural messages and they're due to, to oppression and structural <coughs> inequality. So we're always like going right in on that level. Um, so think about whether you know it's useful to frame this as a very individual problem or whether a good starting point might be thinking wider culture how has somebody got into this fix you know is it because they're thinking that you have to have an erection for sex is it because they're not realizing it's okay to be asexual you know is, is it because of those kind of cultural norms mm. and ideals I think the other thing about what not to do as well I mean I, um, we're both on the same page with this um, with 
with all of this. We're just one brain. Um, it's a beautiful brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the other thing is tone. I think getting the tone right is super important. If people are um, plucking up the courage to write this thing down and send it to you and to trust you enough um, to be reading it and to consider answering it, then you need to treat it with the kind of respectful, gentle, affirming, mm. you're okay um, tone that it deserves. And um, sadly, a lot of colonists don't do that. Yeah, like there's even ridicule and stigma yeah. in their responses, you know. And yeah, really ask yourself about what is normal, you know, and don't be rein reinforcing like an idea of like, no, there is this thing that's normal and it's better. Like, yeah. yeah, definitely. Thank you. Mm. I'm going to so come to you, but just before I do, um, if everyone else could have a think about it, if you do have any like frequently asked questions from your readers, it'd be great to get a couple of examples of those in a second as well. But um, let's take your question first. Cool. Okay, so the question is, has Me Too changed the conversations that we're having around consent and power? And if it hasn't, do you have any advice about how we can start those conversations in the, in the questions we're getting. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> we we've been doing a lot of that. Um, we uh, um, so we have had specific questions. Um, well, like pre and post me too about yeah. me too type stuff. Should we unpack what we mean by me too? I guess like um, yeah, the the bigger conversation about kind of rape culture and yeah. how much kind of non-consensual stuff happens in sex, consent um, and power, and consent power. Yeah, but we've yeah we've been doing a lot of podcasts on this, and yeah, we've certainly been having a lot of questions about how do you know like ha we had one about how how you ensure that you're doing things consensually mm -hmm. in hookups. We had one about like how if you if you have trauma reactions during sex, how do you navigate that if you're yeah. doing hookups? Like yeah, we did one on cat person. Yeah, I was gonna say listen to the cat person podcast that they've done because it is brilliant it's brilliant we so. did a few things around me too as that stuff was coming out yeah we had a, a bit of a go at aziz ansari yeah i'm uh, sorry but you know yeah, yeah we'd already done a post about how much we love master and Men, so we had, <laughs> kind of had to balance that out yeah a little bit yeah um so um, it's yeah. it's and it's also something that our listeners and our readers appreciate uh, that we're talking about this stuff but you know always mm. have been really i mean our I guess coming back another plug uh, enjoy sex how when and if you want to it's really all about you know a lot of it is so much about consent it's as like well the heart of the book I mean when we, we sat down the first day to write the book and we had like a big piece of paper in front of us and we were like just going to do a mind map and it was like where do you start and we both wrote down consent like simultaneously that's that's the whole thinking and, and our thinking around consent is um, you know it feels like kind of where this Me Too conversation is, is getting to in the sense that we need to think about in terms of cultural scripts and we need to think about in terms of power, you know, it can, that, that consent no longer is that base, really basic idea of it's just like you ask somebody and they either say yes or they say no. Um, and kind of that's our, that's been our message. We've got a nice video on the website actually that's a consent via handshakes and it, it kind of digs into all that stuff about power and, and culture. Um, and I suppose that that's my main takeaway around, around consent um, and I think ours is that it's not again not an individual thing it's not like about just saying oh individual men you've been shit at consent you need to up your game it's more like the culture around us is so non-consensual in so many ways people's relationships are so non-consensual in so many ways outside of sex that it becomes incredibly hard to do sex consensually yeah. and so therefore we need to really kind of unpack those things and think about how we approach sex 
and relationships quite differently. Yeah. And that's not an easy thing to do. And in the research that you did, which informed our project Enjoy Sex Tower, and if you want to, you did yeah. research into sex advice books. Yeah, I read 62 of the bastards. Yeah. <laughs> and um, consent was, was mentioned. <laughs> he did like a, so he did like an analysis of the textual analysis. Yeah, and correct? then some stats on it. And, and less, it was like only just over 0% of pages devoted to the topic of consent. It's like hardly that, yeah. If you look at mainstream sex advice books, there's like no mention of consent. The only place it sometimes is, is if they end with a chapter on spicy sex, by which they mean kink, mild kink, then they will start to, then they will have a brief mention of safe words. That's like literally, as if, as if all other sex doesn't require any kind of conversation about consent. It's only kinky sex that requires it, which is also really pathologizing and, and crap. Um, and yeah, it's just super dangerous. Yeah. Because it's all, it's all just perpetuating the idea that, you know, it's all just chemistry and natural and everyone should be telepathic and nothing can ever go wrong if you're just having the normal kind of sex. Yeah. Sorry, is that available in a publication that we can buy with our money? <laughs> it, it super is. Um, <laughs> so the um, the academic book that the project was uh, with me and Ros Gill and Laura Harvey, and it's called Mediated Intimacy. Um, so if you just Google for me um, or and Mediated Intimacy, it should come up. So that's like this whole analysis of sex advice, and it includes like all kinds of sex <clears throat> advice as well. They looked into TV documentaries. It's also got blogging and vlogging and stuff in. So it's like really interesting kind of academic, and it's not too academic ease. We tried to keep it quite um, understandable speech. But yeah, um, and it was just all the time I was doing that analysis, we were also working on our project. So it's like really walking the walk and thinking, well, if this is what's so problematic about sex advice, how do we do it better? And of course, I chose Justin as the person to do that with because you are already doing it so bloody well. Thank you. Great. So I'm going to... Uh, can I also just ask, does anyone have a programme? Can you tell me what time we're supposed to finish? Because I'm so scatty yeah. and I want to make sure that I'm not... Yeah. I'm giving everyone enough time. 2.15. 2.15? Yeah. Oh, 2.50. Okay. Oh, fine. Oh, okay, great. So we've got lots of time for some extra questions. So I'm going to come to you first and then I'm going to come to you next, if that's okay. Good question. Okay, so the question was... Um, do you think you should um, be clear about your credentials or lack of credentials when you're giving sex advice um, in case people think you're doing more than... It's, yeah. Yeah, I, th I think one of the problems is what are, what are credentials? Well, that's it. It's a tension yeah. now, I think, because I think that our, our culture values certain kinds of expertise over others. So, you know, I've got a PhD... That has nothing to do with whether I'm good at sex advice. It had nothing to do with sex. And even if it did, it probably really wouldn't make a lot of difference. You know, I'm a therapist, which is sort of more helpful. But God, the people who can actually afford to train as a Western psychotherapist, it's like a really, you know, white middle class kind of profession. And also there's some real problems with the kind of attitudes in the therapy profession because of kind of where it's come from um, historically. So um, I know a lot of people who are kind of working on the boundaries of like sex work and therapy and coaching. And I think some of them have way more expertise from kind of lived experience and from kind of training courses that aren't like accredited um, to be talking on these issues. So it's a really tricky one though, because obviously there are people who really, who don't have credentials and who really kind of go into things without doing any kinds of training and incredibly unethical. Um, and again, going back to Me Too, we've seen some pretty horrific 
examples of this in our wider communities of late. So we need to be super cautious of people who are putting themselves up as experts um, and using that to abuse their power. So I think there's that real tension and maybe what we need to be doing is kind of skilling people themselves into how to shop around for a, an advisor or practitioner of whatever kind um, and to, to know what to be kind of looking for in terms of um, good practice. Yeah, I mean, being sex, also being a sex and relationships educator is not a career. It just isn't. Uh, people keep asking me, how do I get to do what you do? And I, I put them off. I think that's actually the kindest thing to do. Um, I'm extraordinarily lucky to have been a sex educator since 1999. Like some incredibly talented people that I know and have worked with left the sector years ago because there's just no money and no security and it's not mm. valued and there's no career path. Um, and uh, it's sadly kind of unlikely to change. So it's like when we're talking about like credentials, I guess it's kind of even hard when you're coming at it from like my field. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm a youth worker with a part-time qualified youth worker with a law degree. Uh-huh. They're my credentials. Yeah. I've never used my law degree once. So. Yeah. Not, we should get legal on the show sometime, and then you can bring yeah, it. Yeah, but we just ask Miles, wouldn't we? Yeah, we would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just ask. And yeah, a mate of ours is an actual lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go to the next question. Is anyone? I'm gonna. We're gonna go to you next, and then we'll, I'm gonna open it out again. I can see there are a couple of other people with their hands up. So, okay. So the question is, how do you? How would you advise someone when they've come to you with a problem, and you know that they're actually being unethical slash a dick, but you don't want to tell them? Oh, Justin's got some brilliant. You, you do this really well. I think oh, you've got to take this one. Yeah. Oh, what's that? Like, do, you know, <laughs> when when from when like guy. a guy wrote in like doing, who was doing some pretty non-consensual oh, stuff. Shit. Yeah. You, yeah. I you're forgot about that. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes yeah if you're answering there I I thought it was more of a process question it kind of is but okay so it's like so sometimes it is about like you have to remain gentle and affirming and like on their side but also giving them a bollocking and Mm. I think that's the thing and um, it is just about tone and actually I mean when I write uh, it takes me ages to write those things, you know, so it's really like I am giving them a lot of time, uh, but also trying to make it clear that I'm bollocking them. I guess I thought you were kind of asking a question, which is like when in the process of asking a question, someone has been really like problematic with you in some way. Oh, like with us as the yeah. advisors. Now, I think it was more about right. like if they're, you know, you hear from their letter that they're doing something in their life. Yeah. Uh, well, I do, I think really I'd look on Bish and look at this answer because I think it's just gold for like how to manage that because yeah, if you, if you go too rough, they're just going to switch off and not read it. But if you go too gentle, that's giving a terrible message to them and the rest of the world. That behaviour might be somehow okay. So, and I feel yeah. like your balance of gentle and firm on it was like, it's like I guess it's what it, what it also is is like welcoming the person and absolutely saying no to the behaviour. And something about that mm. is really powerful. I think that's you know much more widely than sex advice. That's what we need to be doing kind yeah. of in our world and our communities at the moment. It's like you're okay as a as a human being and there are reasons that you're messed up in the ways you are and you don't get to do this to people anymore. You know, that combination. Is it would you mind talking us through the example with a bit of obviously warning that it might be a little bit is yeah. it too disturbing or not? Well I mean it is about non consensual sex. So um Okay, maybe we could, is that one for afterwards, maybe, if people want to, because I, I yeah. it would be really interesting to have you talk through the what you said to them, because I've read that blog post, and I think it's a really... I mean, this kind of takes me back to my first 
to an answer I gave a while ago is that I'd kind of forgotten what I've written. Oh, okay. Uh, it took me a day to write. Uh, I had to ring up Petra about it. The whole thing, I was losing sleep over it. Mm-hmm. And I've completely forgotten about it. So mm-hmm. it, I have okay. put that to bed. But uh, <laughs> I kind of remember, I think, the question. Yeah. I'll tweet a link out to it <laughs> that later would be on. Great. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, then you can uh, have a read. So we had a couple more questions, I think. There's one here, yeah. Very slightly in the, in the telling, I, but I'm going to try and get everything. Um, so given that we're all learning all the time, there's lots of new studies coming out, new info turning up. We learn, obviously, a lot from the people around us. Um, and our work lives on on the internet for a very long time what do you do when you realize that the past advice you've given uh, is wrong or you know in some way is going to cause problems essentially so this has been really live for me lately because I've just been revising the first self-help book I wrote we write in the rules and the second edition has literally come out this week Um, and um, yeah it was a super weird experience of like almost co-authoring the book with this old version of me and um, I realized one thing I wrote in the preface it's like the whitest book ever written like all the people I drew on were white like all the examples were white and I was just like you know everything I've been reading since has been kind of intersectional AF and it was kind of you know so it was kind of um, I think that what we have to do is be really open about our blinkers and how we're, how we're trying to remove them and how we're trying to make our work better and recognising that probably in t- 10 more years time I'll look back on this version and go mm, you know there's so much that I would have done differently you know even you know because I, I kind of did the, the edits before the Me Too stuff and I kind of there's a bit in there about sort of public shaming which I probably would have written slightly differently after that you know because it's, it's made us all think about all of that so much more so I think that it's what's so difficult about it is that there is a sort of tendency particularly online to kind of fix people as you are your words and that's why we're all so terrified right it's like that we're fixed as that and if, if we've written something bad it makes us a bad person and I and I think the way forward is to keep being really transparent about what we don't know and about how we've changed and keep presenting it uh, we just heard from I think Nina wasn't it in the previous session about um, you know being being at a company's being open when they've messed up and how, how good that was for PR I think she said um, but you know I think it is it is a really good thing to model to say, you know, we did get this wrong or we didn't get it as right as we wanted to, we're revisiting it now and we would do it differently um, because that allows everyone to be in a process of becoming rather than like fixed at one point in time, which also I think the queer anthropologist said earlier today, <laughs> which is a really good point. I think as a culture, we're, we're not very good at allowing people to be in a process of becoming. Um, but also I think, you know, you've got you to know what you don't know and, and start learning about it. So that's something we covered on the podcast just this week was like, how do you get to learn about all these different intersections so that you can do the do better? And uh, I was drawing on Travis Alabanza's suggestion of just like every week follow a few different people on social media that are particularly activists around a certain area. So you can kind of uh, read a few posts and just, just get up your game on those, those issues that you don't know about. I think I'll just say very quickly as well, yeah, I feel the same. I'm in a lucky position where I can, with my work at BISH, I can update everything and I have updated everything. I continue to go back and update everything. Mm-hmm. So I kind of treat it as like a live, res- a living resource that yeah. I can update. I don't update the videos. Don't look at some of the old videos. <laughs> <laughs> videos take me ages to do and I hate doing them. But uh, yeah, some of them are terrible. I, mi- I gender genitals and things like that. It's like, yeah, don't look at this. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, but I think actually it's going back to the expertise and um, credentials thing. I think our, um, probably our, 
uh, okay, how do I say this without sounding cocky? I think what makes us good at giving advice is that we're always reflecting. Yeah. And we're constantly reflecting on our own practice. I think that makes you a good practitioner generally. Yeah. To reflect on your own practice and to allow for the fact that you don't always know the answers and to allow for the fact you're always learning and growing and to, to try to be transparent yeah. with that in, in like to give an, an, an indication of that in the way that we write. Yeah, well, we always say like, you know, we're learning this as well. And, you know, we tr also try and apply it to ourselves. And we try to be really open about that, you know, that the stuff we're dealing with is really tough and we struggle with it too. Like, even though we've unpacked sex so much over the years, we can still struggle with those norms and ideals about proper sex. And even though we're total relationship geeks, we struggle with our relationships sometimes. And we've talked about oh, that on the podcast. Yeah, real so, talk. Yeah, real talk. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you ever so much. So we've run a little bit over time, but it was a great session. And thank you both to Meg, John and Justin. Thank you.